Titan spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 208th annual Subliminal Session Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm my pal, Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. Um, I know you're really hot right now. Minnesota hot. This is like the um, the bristling two to three weeks. Yeah, it's, uh, it is like wilting your soul hot outside <laughs> right now. So not only is it uh, Phoenix hot, but it's also been uh, a little bit muggy. Here, about 30 to 40% humidity. And basically, when you add that in with 112 degree days, it's it's pretty fucking muggy, pretty hot. So I um I wanted to ask you, I was talking to somebody I know, and they they know somebody, a relative or something, that lives in an RV in the Mojave Desert. <sighs> um yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's a brave lot right there. Yeah, I've met crazy people too. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a frat in college. Yeah, plenty of crazy people there. So I know some too. They just remind me of like crazy alien people who come out of their house with tinfoil hats on. When I heard that, it's like all I could think about. Oh, yeah. I, I, people who, I mean, people probably think I'm crazy for living here too, but anyone who goes camping out in the desert not because you can go camping up in the mountains out here and it's you know 30 degrees cooler up by flagstaff and really enjoyable it rains every once in a while but there's people who go camping like out in the desert out here when it's like 110 115 (laughs) just like why that's wholly unenjoyable what are you doing to yourself they must just love the pain just trying to boil their brain out of their head, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, I yeah, I was going to say last weekend, um, so at the house I used to live in that you lived in for a bit, um, yeah. we had like all these bins of like just childhood shit, basically, right? And they'd been sitting there for probably 12 years. And we we're finally like, okay, we should just go through this shit and get rid of it or whatever. And I, there was some shit in there that I forgot I even had. I think it had to have been yours, but it was an autographed copy of a Rearview Mirror CD. Um, <laughs> do you think that was yours? Do you remember that, that band? Might have, I yeah, I do. No, no, it was a, it was a local band. It was probably like my brothers or my sisters. Okay, yeah, I'm like I. I mean, this would have been cool if they got famous, but yeah, they definitely <laughs> did not get famous. No, they did not. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it's one of those deals where they had a record deal, kind of like with a shitty record label, and it ended up costing them more money. It's one, yeah, it's one of those yeah. record companies that makes its money by completely fucking over its talent. So, well, you know, just, I. 
I learned a lot like uh, J.J.Fox, remember? He was in that metal yep. band. And I kind of learned because I think people have gotten wise to that. And he's like, yeah, like there's a lot of predatory people who will be like approach your band and be like, yeah, man, I get your record. We'll get some CDs out and blah, blah, blah. And then there's like the fine print where they will fuck you into oblivion. Yeah, we own your likeness now. Yeah. And basically it costs you money every time someone buys a CD. Speaking of that. <laughs> now, I don't, yeah. Go ahead. Speaking of that, did you watch the American Gladiators documentary? Yes, I did. Damn. Oh. They fucked them up. Dude, double-sided dick, no lube. No. They got fucked. The, all that merch, I remember everyone owned so much merch back then. Everyone had the toys, everyone had the shirts and everything. They didn't get a penny of that merch. No. No, they didn't. I mean, all they got is probably a lot of chicks and uh, drugs, apparently, from the sounds of it. Yeah. Well, they were getting from this. I was watching that. And from the sounds of it, uh, pretty much they were treated like indentured servants. They signed a like in perpetuity contract where they would never get a raise and they could never, never quit if they wanted to. One of those situations. They had to be let go pretty much. Yeah, it it's kind of a har- harrowing documentary because obviously you and I, that was like right in our time. American Gladiators, I still remember watching that. And you don't really realize these fuckers are probably hurt. Um, I didn't even think about steroids, but yeah, they're definitely steroided up to the fucking gills. Well, it it was so funny because you watched it and the producers of that show, they thought, oh yeah, no, no, no. It's the American Gladiators show that people are, are tuning in to see. They don't care about any of the people who are playing the characters. And I remember watching that show and I had I had my favorites, like my favorite gladiators, you know, who I wanted to see come out. And it's like, are you you know, they just thought that it was their genius that was bringing in all this money. So, yeah, the part where he said they approached like the boss of that company and um, they were asking for a raise or whatever, part of the merch. And (laughs) the guy just basically just fired him right there. He just said, okay, well, you're gone. He's like, immediately. Yeah. yeah. He's like, this is, this is all my money. You don't get none of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of the, just like that Simpsons episode where Bill Gates, I didn't get rich by cutting a bunch of checks, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. That's very American. Yeah. All right. Well, are you, uh, you ready to get into this week's weirdness film? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. On this week's episode, we will dive into the story that has become known as the Attack of the Dead Men. Now, those of you who are a little bit familiar with World War One, you may be familiar with such conflicts as the Battle for Verdun, the Battle of Somme, or the First Battle of Marne. But the Battle of Oswick Fortress is one that is so insane and so infamous that it has started to become just kind of cross that border of becoming an urban legend due to kind of the um, the tales that will come from it. Now, are you familiar with the Battle of Oswick Fortress? 
Oh, I no, I'm not uh, familiar with the Battle of Oswick Fortress. Obviously, I've heard of uh, Battle of Verdun, the Battle of the Somme, and the Battle of the Marne. Uh, all very huge. Those are all Western Front uh, huge battles. So. Yeah, it's um. I obviously listened to what was the hardcore history like saga called about World War One? Destroyer of Worlds. Yeah. Very good. Very good uh, series. I think you have to pay for it now if you want to listen to it. Yeah, it's definitely become a uh, pay to play, which I mean, <laughs> he had tons of fans. It's just it feels like he hasn't come out with anything in years now. So it almost feels like a dead podcast. Yeah, but, that is uh, a good point. Um, God, yeah, that's a good point. I don't think I've seen him pop up in quite a while. Yeah, he had uh, Supernova in the East which was all about uh, Japan during World War II. Ever since then, um, really hasn't come out with anything consistent. So it's almost like you kind of just, you know, you forget about it. So <laughs> a pod death. He d well, he does. He has that like political podcast, doesn't he? Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not the same. No, absolutely not. Uh, for dipshits like us, we love to hear the history. We don't need to hear about <laughs> political opinions, to be honest with you. Even Definitely. though... Even though people will leave us negative reviews for that exact point, but <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yep. I don't know. Go, go ahead and leave us negative reviews. It helps us with our uh, our Apple uh, rating anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, if you leave us a negative review because we're not cheering for the Germans, um, I I don't know. I I guess. Do you think someone would? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Maybe <laughs> there's some people in Germany who their great great grandfather was at the Battle of the Somme on the German side. You got to remember too, though, World War One Germany wasn't uh, quite yeah, as yeah. evil or infamous or terrible as uh, World War Two Germany was with all the you know. I mean, you know, it was war. They did war shit, but it wasn't quite you know. The state wasn't driving a Holocaust pretty much yeah so. that's a good question i should ask you obviously if you think about world war ii you pretty much know who the bad guy is right um yeah. in world war one I, I mean is the line as clear i mean oh that's a tough one so the war started because of a terrorist attack that killed uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, basically germany jumped in on the side of austria hungary and immediately started trying to push back on Russia and France just for being aligned with Serbia. So it's one of those deals where, you know, America could have jumped in on either side situation at, at first. Uh, really, they didn't like it when they had heard that there was a plot to have Mexico invade the United States on the side yeah. of the central powers. They didn't like that. And then Lusitania happened. And, yeah. You know, there's a lot of controversy around that. So, yeah, you got to say allegedly invade, don't you? Well, there was an alleged uh, plot to have them invade the United States. So, yeah. Isn't that the big conspiracy that um, it uh, may have Britain... been Britain? Yeah. Who, yeah. Who 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 made that false flag to get us in the war, or you know, turn sentiment around? Yeah. So you know what? They're sneaky. They're wiry-haired, <laughs> big need, sneaky bunch. I gotta say, <laughs> very true. Yeah. <laughs> now the Oswick Fortress would prove to be very important to Russia 
during World War I, but it has a little bit of an interesting history on why it even existed in the first place. What preceded the construction of the fortress, ironically enough, was another war. During the Crimean War that lasted from October 1853 to February 1856, Russia faced off against the Ottoman Empire, France, the United Kingdom, and Sardinia Piedmont. Okay, I gotta ask quick. I've never even heard of Sardinia Piedmont. Piedmont. What is Sardinia is an island in the Mediterranean. I don't know what Piedmont is. Okay, it must have been maybe like connected at one point. I don't know. Yeah, well, there was a... During that time, there was still a bunch of these little, uh, either tiny kingdoms or little fiefdoms type situations. So it might have been like the, you know, the rulers of Sardinia and the rulers of Piedmont married into the, you know, uh, kind of married yeah. their families, that yeah. situation. So, I forgot that. Like Austria-Hungary or, you know, like where two countries kind of combined to make an empire. Maybe their little double little fiefdoms kind of made something stronger, basically. I forgot that, you know, you kind of forget in the 1800s, a lot of cousin fucking, a lot of uh, all that business going on. Yeah, I will say uh, the Crimean War, I don't know, a very big war, uh, kind of not really, you know, it was a whole European war. Uh, Basically, they were trying to keep Russia out of the Crimean. They were trying to kind of hold back the Russians for about a century and a half. Britain and Russian or United Kingdom and Russia were really like rivals. So United Kingdom was trying to do anything they could to try to hold off Russia. So gotcha. Well, basically why this war was important is because apparently this was like a big sign that Russia, they lost the war and they really found out how far behind other European countries as far as like military strength went like they needed to they would ultimately build this as like this is going to stop um, or try you know kind of stop the other European powers or at least put up some sort of a defense barrier for them because they were not keeping up as far as military strength went. Oh, yeah, definitely. So during this time, uh, the end of the 19th century, Russia was always on the side of like, you know, trying to slow down the arms race, trying to keep everyone else from, you know, arm arming up, having more and more, you know, big guns and all that stuff. So Russia was always like far. Russia was always behind just because of their inability to kind of evolve politically with their government. They were still using like a feudal system. Yeah. They were very far behind everyone else. Yeah. If anybody watches, like anybody knows about the last czars, or even if you watch that Netflix series, it's like, I didn't, I don't think I really realize how wealthy the Czar family was compared to like basically everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Like, yeah, it- <laughs> it'd be like if, if Jeff Bezos, his house was in Pittsburgh, you know, it's just, he's so far ahead of probably every other rich person there or anybody who even has any money there. 
Yeah, I mean, there was the oligarchy in Russia. There were other rich people, but the mass majority of people in, in Russia were, you know, peasant, basically unable to even, like, leave their property. There yeah. was a big push for civil rights during the 1800s in Russia just to get people the ability to get a job on a different farm so that they weren't, you know, land slaves, basically, right. is what they pretty much were. Yikes. Not good. Uh, one quick question. So we're recording on a Wednesday. This is the second and final day of Prime Deal Days, Phil. Um, yep. Have you been looking at Prime Deal Days? I don't do that. Oh, I don't buy shit on the internet. Uh, I got to say, Bezos getting a little greedy. The deals <laughs> are not great this year. I literally yeah, saw... Yeah. Something that said, I swear to God, it was a dog DNA test, and I was just looking at it, and the prime deal they price was, I think, like one sixteen ninety nine, and the original price was one hundred and seventeen dollars. <laughs> is one cent off? Sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> like Jesus Bezos. Yeah, yeah. It's the wealth gap is, you know. It, it has to get to a certain point for there to be revolution. And I think we're actually coming up on that pretty oh, close now. Okay. So we're going to have a communist revolution here. I don't think about, I don't know about a communist. <laughs> revolution. It might be a, uh, everyone's real pissed off. <laughs> Wants some, uh, some rent relief maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I didn't realize how big of a telltale sign greedy landlords was for, uh, revolution stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But anyway, back to this year. So in 1882, construction began on a defensive fortress that would become known as Oswick Fortress. It would be placed in an area of Gonai's community in the Mononeki, Monoeki County of Poland. I'm sorry, Polish people. I have no idea where that is. But it's located in the northeastern corner of... Um, it's 30 miles from, I believe, Prussia at the time. So it's like very close to, um, it's a very good defensive point because it's very close to like, you know, having access to everything more or less. Now, construction of the fortress would be, be completed in 1892, having taken about 10 years. The location, according to the information I could find, it was specifically designed to defend against the German army, even though at the time of its construction, they were not at war. So <clears throat> they weren't at war with Germany, but they were definitely very afraid of Germany, I guess. Oh, most definitely. So Germany, even though their country was relatively young, uh, it had just actually started a couple of decades before that. They did inherit one of the best uh, armies on earth which was the prussian army uh very you know very well integrated into into german state and basically everyone was worried about the german army uh, german army of world war one is actually considered to be probably one of the best armies of all time uh the thing is russia and germany like from the jump uh everyone was worried about germany and Russia was really worried about Germany because they're next door neighbors. Yeah. All they have between them is Poland. And Poland, you talked about like the borders of Poland. Poland's borders throughout for the past like 
two centuries before World War II were super fluid. Sometimes Poland didn't even exist. Like Poland <laughs> yeah. was basically like it's only Poland on paper situation. Yeah, I uh, I remember on the last podcast episode they were like I think they said something like Poland is the country where like the worst atrocities in, in history have happened and I mean through like all time. Um yeah, it's uh poor Poland, man. They're always caught in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um this is, well, the funny thing is like at one point Poland and a lot of those like a lot of those countries up in the the Baltics up there, very powerful. Uh, Sweden also at one time very powerful, and then all of a sudden Russia just goes on steroids and you know uh, gives them one foul swoop and you know it's the situation is they just are pulled apart from having two like extremely powerful countries on either side of their border. So. You know what? World War Three. Poland's revenge. I can feel it. It's coming. <laughs> Poland is instantly done. There, yeah, they joined NATO as quick as they could. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> when World War One broke out in July of 1914, Germany wouldn't declare war against Russia officially until August 1st of 1914. They declared war against Russia and France because of their support of Serbia. Now, Germany knew to invade Russia, they were going to need to take Oswick Fortress. But to take this fortress, it was going to be extremely difficult for them. The fortress had been built within the Bibsra Swamp and was surrounded by bogs and marshes. So it created kind of this perfect choke point that the Germans would have to go through to get into Russia. But what the Germans would really want from conquering Oswick Fortress was the Balostek Luck Konigsberg rail line. I don't know why they needed it to be that long of a word for that, but it is. Um, <laughs> and the rail line kind of went across the river and was really good for transportation. So if they could get this fortress, they'd be in Russia and they'd have an excellent uh, you know, spot for transporting whatever they needed to. Oh, definitely. Goods, supplies, uh, ammo, soldiers, everything. It's all about logistics, especially during this time. Uh, all about the rail lines, you know, getting getting shit on your trains and getting it moving. So, and one thing that Germany was really good at was uh, timing. They had uh, basically like moving all their forces down uh, to go into France the timing was like perfect. Everything was like down to a second pretty much. I was going to say though, too, uh, we talked a little bit about Germany declaring war against Russia and France. So one of the things was after uh, Franz Ferdinand was assassinated, basically Austria, Hungary gave Serbia like very, very bad terms that everyone knew Serbia wasn't going to accept. And actually Serbia almost accepted everything except for like one little point. And that was having the assassin, the, the people who were suspected of being in that terrorist group, like tried in Austria, Hungary, Austria, Hungary told them to go fuck themselves if they didn't want to do all the points. So that's when Germany basically uh, went with Austria, Hungary. They really did it for elbow room. They thought that, you know, they could attack the first person they wanted. The first country they wanted to attack was Russia. 
that's because Russia is like a locomotive. You know, it's a when it's a full steaming freight train, nothing can stand in its way. But you got to get it before the engine starts because it takes a that long time for that Russian war machine to to power up. Then they could swing around and take out France by themselves. They thought so. Gotcha. But they they attacked France first, didn't they? I believe they uh, tried to attack Russia first. Okay. But Russia actually, they mobilized as quickly as they could. And they sent a force out to meet them. Gotcha. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I, they, I, they never thought Russia would be that quick. I didn't look up the death toll numbers, but um, I know... Like Germany at World War One was what close to twenty million, right? Casualties and France was like not that far behind them, if I'm not uh, incorrect there. Oh well, yeah, it was uh, trench warfare. They were mowing each other down. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just saying. World War World War Two would be like the numbers would be even greater. But yeah, definitely this was the you know the most. <laughs> <laughs> the most casualties of any war up to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, like France and Ru- or France and Germany, just huge losses. Obviously, World War II German losses were quite large again. But um, how did they get so many people? I don't fucking a. You wipe out twenty million, and then you come back and lose. Was it twenty million again or thirty million? That's the lot. thing is uh, Germany lost multiple generations. Yeah. Uh, during, God damn. During, <laughs> between those two wars, it was, yeah, it's amazing there's anyone left in Germany, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, France had the biggest population in Europe at the time. Oh. They also had a ton of colonies that they could call from. Got you. Okay. That makes sense yep. then. Yeah. Okay. Now, after declaring war in August, Germany... They wasted almost no time at all trying to get this fortress because in September of 1914, they would begin their very first assault. The man who would be in charge of the Russian forces at the fortress was Lieutenant Vladimir Karpovich Katlinsky. I'm sorry, I hate Russian. I don't hate Russian (laughs) names. I just think they're very hard for me to pronounce. Who, oddly enough, this is fascinating he was very young to be in charge of like the people at this fortress but he was literally one of the most senior of the soldiers that were still alive so you know what it would be like some young guy hey you're in charge now because you're you're 21 and we're 20 so you're just you're in charge of us now man yeah it's kind of like that time there there's the the moment in starship troopers where they're kind of looking at the new recruits and they're like, oh, they're all kids. It's like, you don't understand. We're the old men now. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like 23, but they look like they're grizzled old veterans. <laughs> when Rico finally takes over and he's been there for like three months. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He just keeps getting promoted because people die. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a good movie. I love that movie. Yeah, I need to give that one another watch. It's been about a year. So I, I watch that one just about every year. Yeah. Once. You got Starship Troopers and you got Young Guns too. That's your yeah, one Young Guns two, 1 and 2. That's one my, and yeah, two. every year I watch them. Yep. Okay. I still need to watch them. I, I'll be honest. I've never watched them. I saw number two is on Amazon Prime, but I don't know where you watch number one. Can't yeah, find uh, it. You can find them every, you know, every once in a while. 
All right. The Germans would be led by Field Marshal Paul von Hindenburg, who, as we will see, see later, um, I would call him quite a merciless fella, and uh, we'll find out why later. For his first attack, Hindenburg would bring 40 infantry battalions from the German 8th Army with 60 203mm artillery guns. Another main problem with trying to get the fortress was the soldiers would have to cross through two huge trenches and barbed wire fences, and then if they got past that, then there's these giant-ass walls they would have to try to get over. So while the German soldiers were even trying to get up to this fucking fortress, they would find themselves getting picked off really easily. Now, the assault lasted until September 28th when German forces were then flanked by two Russian forces, which made them retreat, and it put the German artillery out of range of the fortress itself. So this is kind of like the first defeat of trying to overtake this fortress. Yeah, it's... So this is one of the last wars that fortresses are actually effective at all. Because by the end of this war, you're going to have planes and, you know, planes dropping bombs, that sort of thing. It just becomes, you trade in fortresses for bunkers, basically. And the idea of a fortress is to make it as big and as menacing as possible. A bunker, you want to make that thing basically entirely underground, hidden, you know, because you're trying to hide important things. So, yeah, uh, there's also, and besides this, there's also inside the Belgium, I believe, there's a fortress that slows down the Germans quite a bit. The Germans actually have to like bring in one of their gigantic naval guns that they assemble like on land wow. uh, in order to destroy it. So that's also in hardcore history. But okay, all right. Um, so this did like I think maybe during the second or third assault they talk about planes a little bit of this fortress, but they were very paltry as far as like. <laughs> You know, if you think about World War II plane bombings, a lot bigger boom and shit than it is in World War One. Yeah, they're basically dropping grenades out of the side of airplanes made out of sticks and canvas, <laughs> pretty much. So Yeah, yeah, not great. Not great. Not gonna do it. The artillery guns though, that's some scary shit, but um but yeah, they obviously have to get in range to actually have them be effective. Yeah, this was the era of uh the big guns too. So like the, you know, the time of like the Paris gun and a lot of the like basically the giant artillery pieces that had to be moved by train pretty much. I heard one of them they called Big Bertha. I didn't Mm. know which gun it was, but I guess I had the nickname Big Bertha. (laughs) Yeah, all those guns back then, the big ones had uh, had nicknames. So (laughs) the Paris gun was brought in because that's the one that they used to uh, bomb, you know, artillery shell uh paris so ah okay now what i want everybody to keep in mind about the first assault um a lot of the information here i think just due to i don't think they viewed it as a huge battle like the other ones so like the the notes are kind of hard to come by especially with the first couple assaults on this fortress but my Kind of what I was gathering is Germany was starting to get close to taking or like getting to the fortress and there were soldiers like outside of the fortress kind of protecting it. So they 
they weren't directly necessarily assaulting the fortress itself. If that quite yet, does that make sense? And that's how they were able to like flank them because the Germans weren't directly up to the fortress yet, I guess. Yeah, you wouldn't want all of your soldiers inside the fortress, like shooting out, you know, then you'll end up getting sieged. You'll get surrounded. So you do want to have some flanks out there kind of to try to hold back so that, uh, you know, the infantry can't come in and try to take over the the fortress. Now, the um, the last two or the next two assaults, though, we know for sure (laughs) the fortress is very lightly guarded. So. Um, but anyway, after this first kind of defeat here, the Germans wouldn't attempt again until February 14th of 1915. At the time, Oswick Fortress was being lightly defended by only two Russian battalions that were on site. The Germans would start a extremely heavily heavy artillery bombardment that would last two days straight followed by another heavy bombardment that two weeks later that lasted for an entire week. But still, even after this, it they still could not take the fortress. That's how solid this was. And kind of over the next two months, um, they kind of did the positional battle where the Russians might push them back a little bit, and then the Germans might come forward a little bit, then the Russians push them back a little bit, you know, that kind of little back and forth. So it's kind of almost a stalemate, obviously, with a lot of corpses piling up. But, um, but yeah, they they gave the fortress hell, and they still couldn't get it. Yeah, pretty much trading trenches. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very good investment for the Russians building this fortress. Uh, yeah, the thing is, too, you got to realize that um, early, early on in the war, you know, you have all of these troops committed to this one area because that's kind of where the, uh, the the battles are happening. Problem is, by the time the next year comes around, February, it is total trench warfare. There is an entire, you know, uh, front basically on the eastern, the, called the eastern front. Uh, so you are stretched very thin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure why Russia left it kind of lightly defended. And I'm going to give you some numbers about how many people were actually here versus the Germans. But um, I maybe they did they just not have a lot of men, you think, or they're all dead, or you think they just had them in other locations? What do you think? Well, I mean, so there was a shit ton of soldiers like all along the front. It's just, it's such a huge expanse. Yeah, that's that, true. And you got a thing too. Honestly, I would rather... Like February on the Russian border, I would much rather be in a warm fortress <laughs> than out in some fucking trench, you know, pissing in a pot that I have to throw over the top and hopefully not get shot in the back while doing it. Very true. So, Very dead people true. everywhere. I would much rather be in a fortress. How many times do you think uh, Paul von Hindenburg took off his hat and stomped on it um, like Yosemite <laughs> Sam after these first two assaults? Dang nab it. <laughs> Dang nab yeah, Russians. God damn it. Yeah, they all had the uh, the pointy German hats at the time. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the the helmets with the points on them. Were they sharp enough to cut or did they just have a point? I don't know what the point exactly. So you could kind of use your um your helmet as a weapon, maybe. Ah, okay. And kind of like a tool to do, you know, it's a very sharp kind of point on the top of your helmet it's kind of that uh that kaiser 
Uh, everyone, oh, you know, yeah. thinks, of, thinks of the Kaiser deal. So, um, or was it Wilhelm or whatever? Whatever his fucking name was. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he stomped on it too much. He might have, you know, caught one in the foot. But... <laughs> It's pretty good. Well, we can go on to the third assault here, which is kind of the linchpin of this entire story. This is where it gets real weird. Field Marshal von Hindenburg had apparently gotten frustrated with his inability of his forces to take this fortress. So he decided to try a full-on assault of the fortress, which would include 14 German infantry battalions, which was about seven to 8,000 men, somewhere between 24 to 30 siege guns and an engineer combat battalion. At the time, defending the fortress were around 500 Russian soldiers of the 226th Infantry Regiment, Zamolinsky, and about 400 Russian militiamen. The Russian soldiers obviously were extremely outnumbered. So, yeah. 900 verse between seven to 8,000. Um, <laughs> yep. It doesn't look like fair odds. Yeah. And those uh, 400 Russia militiamen, who knows what kind of state they were in, what training they had. Uh, they could have been dudes off the street who were handed guns. The Russians were known for doing that. So I know I didn't even know they had militiamen in the uh, in the war, but I guess they just was kind of an all hands on deck thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Anyone in the local area. Hey, you're all conscripted now. <laughs> Get to the front. Here's a gun. Go fight off the 7,000 Germans. That was the, uh, well, the, uh, what was it? St. Petersburg during World War II. That was the situation was, all right. You get the gun, your buddy gets the ammo. If your buddy with the gun dies, pick up the gun. That yeah. sort of thing. We don't have enough for both of you. So I that was in like the communist song or something, wasn't it? At the time? Didn't they have like a song about that? Oh, I have no idea about that one. It's just a very famous thing. They had more they had uh they didn't have a you know a ton of guns and ammo to go around. So everyone had to share. <laughs> True communist society, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, share with your comrade. Field Marshal Hindenburg also had a weapon along with his forces that had been used relatively recently on a battlefield by the Germans, a little bit of chemical warfare. On April 22nd, 1915, the German army had used over 150 tons of of chlorine gas against the French at the Second Battle of Ypres in Belgium. So Hindenburg would have 30 batteries of chlorine and bromine gas awaiting the Russian soldiers at Osowick Fortress. And as we'll see, he might have unlocked the secret (laughs) to creating zombies. Possibly. Yeah, Yeah, that's... uh... I mean, that's some pretty rough shit. Uh, It was very, very surprising for the French when this happened. It was also surprising for the German soldiers uh, when they went to advance after the the French started dying and retreating. They also got hit by some of the gas, too. So it was uh, one of those situations. It's weird. It's I shouldn't say it's weird, but from what I was reading, that 150 uh, tons of this gas, right? 
Um, apparently at this battle, it killed about 1,100 French soldiers. So it seems like a lot of gas. I mean, I know it sounds horrible, but it seems like a lot of gas and not a lot of people killed. Although it is a lot of people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're uh, so the big thing is you're looking for a way to break the trenches. Uh, 1100 people killed. That is, you know, um, for the total number of killed during these battles, that might seem small, but it's all so localized. You're killing 11. You might kill all 1100 people within this half a mile swath. And then you can maybe run through is the kind of the idea behind it. Yeah, that is very, that is very true. And, um, I got a little paragraph here describing these gases. So, you guys can get an idea of what it actually does to you. And I got to be honest, it's fucking horrible. Um, For those wondering, XYLYL bromide apparently has a, quote, pleasant and aromatic smell. Uh, And it causes eye irritation and uncontrollable tearing of the eyes large doses will cause temporary blindness when inhaled it becomes difficult to breathe although symptoms will usually clear up within 30 minutes now one source i don't know if they had a different type of bromine gas than maybe we do now or had some different chemistry to it but apparently according to one source it has the ability to cause skin lesions and blisters with sometimes your skin just straight up melting off after enough damage has been done to it. Although I think bromine gas is tear gas. Am I wrong? I'm not exactly sure. Um, yeah, the the tear gas that we had used at, in basic uh, caused a lot of the first symptoms. Okay. Uh, you know, hard to see. Your eyes become super watery. It's hard to breathe. You're choking. Um yeah, it's just, uh, it's very rough on your system. The, it, it, I was reading a lot about it and it was like, it like t- sends your mucus membranes and stuff into like overdrive. So you're going to oh, have a lot oh, of snot, you know, your eyes, snot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your eyes are going to be watering. I mean, it's not pleasant. I can tell you that. I've yeah, never, your, uh, your defenses against, uh, um, anything entering your system that your body doesn't want, they're in overdrive trying to keep <laughs> the gas out. So. Yeah, so so we have that. But what was really deadly, like super fucking deadly, was chlorine gas, which is a diatomic gas. It is pale green in color. The odor is described as a, quote, a mixture of pineapple and pepper. When chlorine is inhaled, it mixes with the water in your lungs and becomes hydrochloric acid. This is extremely destructive to tissue and will effectively just straight up disintegrate your lungs and perforate your esophagus. Um, Some sources said if it comes into contact with your eyes, it'll cause acid burns on your eyes. And sometimes it can just straight up melt your optic nerve. If it's not inhaled, even if you don't inhale it, uh, it'll cause coughing, vomiting, and severe eye irritation. So this is nasty stuff, and you can see why the Geneva has kind of outlawed this. You know what I mean? 
it's against the Geneva Convention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's in the well, Geneva they, Convention. They put it in there, I think, in 1929 or something. I think, or 1925 or something. So, like, after this happened. Yeah, it's... uh. So, I mean, anywhere, basically, it sounds like where you're where your body has excess water yeah. or moisture. That's so right. I'm guessing any uh, any person suffering from the horrible condition known as swamp ass, <laughs> they are in trouble, uh, not having a very comfortable sit their, for that. Their ass and taint is just melted <laughs> off of their body. <laughs> their poor balls. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, it sounds like because humans, 60 to 7% water... The chlorine kind of creates chemical reaction, becomes hydrochloric acid, and then you're just melting. You're melting from the inside. Yep. Yeah. Your own fluids turn into acid and it just, yeah, cooks you. Yeah. So not great. Not good. (laughs) No, absolutely fucking not. Why do the Germans always have these, these nasty things like this? I think it was so... I'm not sure. I think it was both sides. You have you do have to remember though. The Germans had some of the best scientists on earth at the time. Uh, you know, very um they're always looking for kind of the upper hand too. Uh I don't I believe that both sides were using gas though. Okay. So All right. um I'm not sure. I don't think it was just the Germans. I think that uh, they were using gas kind of all over the place. So the French, British, and the the Germans. So All right. Well, you know what? I don't doubt it at all. But in this scenario, this battle for the fortress, um, they're using it. Only the Germans are using it. Yeah. Now, Hindenburg knew that the Russian soldiers probably were not expecting a gas attack, so they would not have gas masks. And his attacks with the chlorine gas would then ultimately be extremely effective. The German soldiers on August 6th, 1915, basically just kind of laid in wait. They were just waiting for the perfect wind conditions. My understanding is they wanted to fire the gas and make sure the wind was blowing right at the fortress. And it just so happens at 4 a.m., that is when the wind conditions were in their favor and the German army unleashed a barrage of artillery, which included the 30 balloons of chlorine and bromine gas. Within 5 to 10 minutes, the entire fortress was covered by a green, foul-smelling gas. Yeah, one of the big problems with their first use of gas against the French was they didn't take into account the wind. So... You know, even though they fired all of their gas kind of at the French, the wind ended up bringing it back to them. So it got oh. both sides. So by this time, they probably learned that lesson. Yes. And that's why they waited for the wind to basically, by the way it's described, it's almost like they fired a little short of the fortress and then let the wind kind of just take it in there. Yeah. Well, you don't want to fire the gas canisters directly in the fortress because by the time like the, all the smoke comes out it'll kind of blow away so you want the smoke clouds to form up and then blow kind of into them so gotcha it, you know that had to be a scary sight right oh fuck coming right at you yeah you know yeah, yeah. so uh, 
according to the source I read, here's how big the fucking cloud was once it kind of all got out. Apparently, it was five miles wide, about 12.4 miles deep. It was a deep, dark, green smog cloud. Apparently, the leaves and vegetation turned yellow and dried out. The grass was known to have turned black from just this green smog. That's how toxic it was. So when it when it kind of crossed over the fortress, the Germans, they're like, surely all of those Russian soldiers have to be dead. Who the fuck could possibly survive that? But apparently yeah. when the Russians Russian soldiers noticed this massive green cloud coming and they didn't have any gas masks, uh, what they did was tear off pieces of their clothing they then urinated on the cloth and then covered their faces for protection against the gas. I okay, so chlorine and bleach, you would think would make an even maybe <laughs> maybe cover. it's one of those maybe it's one of those acid and base type situations. It could be, or I don't know. I don't. Maybe it's. Just, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'd, I'd be. I feel like if the I Russians had to just enjoy it. <laughs> He's like, if I'm gonna die, you might as well have one more golden shower. Um, it, I just feel like this giant gas cloud coming at you, it'd be kind of hard to piss. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's. I wonder if maybe they were, if there was a rumor, like, oh, if they ever use chlorine gas, just piss, piss on some rags and cover your face, and it'll work. You know, one of those like old wives' tale situations. Well, like, don't worry. Even though we don't have gas masks, we figured it out. It's going to be fun. <laughs> well, apparently the, um, I mean, some cultures have some like weird things like this, you know, like, yep. like you said, old wives tales, like, oh, dad says if you piss on a rag and cover your face, it'll protect <laughs> you from gas. You know, you can kind of, uh, kind of see that <laughs> happening. Yeah. A thing about the, they were talking about the vegetation turning black and dying. I imagine it must be like the, the liquid inside of the yeah. plants yeah. are turning into acid and then just burning everything. Yeah. That's the first thing that came to my mind because obviously most plants store water within them. So, yeah. or if there was uh, dew on the ground, I mean, it was four in the morning. I mean, you know. I guess that's what could yeah. happen. So I don't know. It probably would have been a fuck. It would have looked like something out of a horror movie. That's like all I can envision. Oh, definitely. Chris Christie farting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I imagine. And then just <laughs> when Whoopi entire population start to fall. When Whoopi Goldberg queefs, it just kills all vegetation within <laughs> the around the area. Um, they need four new cast members. <laughs> yeah. Of, of the view. Do you guys remember those old members of the view? <laughs> they all died randomly. I don't know. It was really weird. <laughs> they just have stick figures. Yeah. Fucking. It's made out of like sticks and bags of leaves. <laughs> just sitting <laughs> in the chairs. I just envision them looking like um, the people who view the ring movie afterwards. That's just after they ah. smell that. <laughs> that that Your gas. face is all contorted. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of stiff and frozen. Yeah. Now, the Germans effectively launched the gas attack, let the cloud go over the fortress, and they kind of just waiting for it to disperse. And then they were going to just, you know, go ahead and walk right into the fortress because all the Russian soldiers should be dead. Yep. But as they got closer to the fortress, 
they found there's a little bit of a surprise waiting for them. A little over 60 Russian soldiers were still alive. You see, the Russian soldiers would have bloody claws over their face. Their skin would be covered in all sorts of chemical burns, or maybe some of it had just melted off. Many of them were, you could be seen just spitting out bloody pieces of their lungs um, that, like we said, were literally being destroyed from the inside. So when these Russian soldiers kind of like came back to defend, it'd be a little scary. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like you're in Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> yeah. and you see the undead pirates like on the other ship. And you're just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> what are we supposed to do? That's just fighting skeletons. <laughs> yeah. I would be so scared if I saw a Russian man coughing up pieces of his, of his lungs and he's got a bloody piss-soaked rag over his face with a gun. I would be... I'd be running for the hills. Sounds like the homeless in Los Angeles <laughs> yeah. a little bit. It could be. Now, as the Germans were ma- making their approach, they saw these quote-unquote zombified Russian soldiers, and they started firing at them, and they were hitting them allegedly, but they still just would not stop. And a lot of the Germans believed this was some sort of supernatural something crazy that had happened to these Russian soldiers. So the Germans began to flee in mass. Many of the German German soldiers, when they're running away, they would just go right into a fucking barbed wire fence. According to some sources, some of them accidentally bayoneted another soldier. Uh, a fire broke out, which caused even more panic. The German soldiers just fleed in droves from the fortress when some of these Russian zombie soldiers in the state they were in, just kept firing at them, just kept taking them out. Yeah, Tough those hard, sons of bitches. Those Russians are some pretty hard people, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> imagine they're 20 years old. That means they've experienced like 20 Russian winters. Yeah. So you're gonna you're gonna be a, a, a little bit tougher of a human being than average. So I mean they've got vodka lungs, so I don't know mm. if chlorine's really gonna affect them much. They've all been smoking since they were four years <laughs> yeah. old. So, The lung cancer's like, get out of here, chlorine gas. This is my area, bitch. They were coughing out parts of their lungs before the gas was ever <laughs> yeah. laid, so probably fine. <laughs> Fucking pussy Germans. <laughs> <laughs> they, they walk out of the green cloud smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did, honestly. Um, yeah. Now, there's another part here that's honestly fucking amazing and heroic now they had did the gas attack at 4 a.m remember that by 11 a.m on august 6 1915 the germans had retreated and decided to wait a few days before returning to oswick fortress assuming all these zombie soldiers would finally actually be dead after the germans had fled some of the remaining russian soldiers still alive including vladimir the leader the fearless fucking leader they actually kind of stayed there sent some of the soldiers out they were set on defending this area until reinforcements could arrive the reinform- reinforcements would manage to arrive on august 18th and then they kind of retreated the remaining soldiers that were there so they basically got a full evacuation, even though a lot of the 
most of the soldiers, I should say, that were the, you know, I guess zombified ones did ultimately end up dying, but at least they were there long enough to kind of get some reinforcements, hold it a little bit longer, yeah, and then ultimately retreat. But the Germans, um, they actually were never able to fully capture Asimik Fortress because the Russian soldiers retreating <laughs> fully demolished it before they left. So oh, okay. the Germans yeah. were not getting it one way or the other. <laughs> You're not going to use this against us. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. It's one of those situations where if the Germans would have caught it uh, with what we know about Russia uh, giving up less than two years later, pretty much the situation is that would all be German territory by the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. They never give it back. No. But that is just, to me, it takes a while, you know, to get to this point, but the ferocity and the determination of these soldiers was insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, to fucking... The thing is, if you're in that spot, you're one of the, you know, militiamen or maybe the regular army you know, soldiers who probably felt left behind or abandoned if you're at that posting with all those Germans coming. Uh, maybe you just kind of realized that, you know, this was the last day anyway. Yeah. So. Give her hell anyway, huh? Yeah. Fuck it. <laughs> how, like, Might as well go balls deep. How they managed, like, some of them to get away to get reinforcements while their lungs were melting from the inside. I don't know. I don't know how the fuck they managed to do that. Yeah. Unless they were hiding their horses somewhere else. And then, like, yeah. ran over to their horses and rode them. Uh, but I'm pretty sure any horses in the area also would have been quite dead. So. <laughs> horses can't breathe chlorine gas? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not even with piss-covered mouths. <laughs> Here, horsey, piss on this. Piss on this. I'm going to cover your <laughs> snout here. Um, so you can kind of see why this, like, legend of these zombie soldiers kind of... Um, came out. Obviously, they were not, in fact, zombies, but the Germans saw them as like some sort of undead force because they assumed they should have been perished, but somehow they're still up and fighting, even though they're getting shot. Well, we definitely, we've talked about paranormal kind of shit happening or the idea that paranormal shit happening during World War One and World War Two. So you got to remember, these were very different people back then. They did not have uh, TV, you know, internet, anything like that. So you saw something like that. That's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Shit, if yeah. I saw that, it would stick with me <laughs> for the rest of my life. I'd never forget it. No, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Grandpa, what do you remember most? Well, I remember every pair of titties I've ever seen, and I remember the melty dude shooting back <laughs> at us. So, yeah, there's that. I saw a Russian <laughs> man <laughs> with skin melting off, coughing up his lungs, shooting his gun at me. It was fucking terrifying. <laughs> well, you got to think, too, a lot of those men probably lived into the 1950s and 60s. Old men, when they were going to the theater, of course, they don't want to see a war movie. Because, you know, the, the shell shock and the PTSD. Yeah. Imagine them going to see fucking Night of the Living Dead. Oh or one my of the God. zombie movies. Freaking the fuck out. They were not ready for George Romero, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, 
So this um this battle and this particular incident is like has kind of garnered its own legend. Um there's actually a Swedish metal band named Sabaton who made a song called The Attack of the Dead Man. Um I learned later after listening to him almost every song is about I'm pretty sure about World War One or World War Two. I'm not even kidding yep. about that. Um, can I play you a little bit of this song, Phil? Yes. Here we go. Hundred men charge again, die again. What a great <laughs> fucking lyric for that song. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to listen to the uh, to the lyrics. The funny thing was because of uh, you know how the voices come across the internet connection. Yeah, with all of the extra sound. Yeah, it kind of sounded like an Irish jig a little <laughs> bit, like you know, like the kind of the Irish drinking songs. Yeah, what it sounded like a little bit because there was hardly any of the music coming through. Just a few of the lyrics very choppy okay correct me if i'm wrong but the panzer tanks were the german ones right yes okay they had a whole song about panzer tanks and i was just i was like are these guys like because you got to be careful sometimes you get a you got a nazi band but i don't think they were i think they were just singing about world war ii yeah um yeah that's world so panzer tanks would have been world war ii uh tanks were kind of they're a uh, a British invention, I believe, is uh, kind of one of the things that, like I mentioned about trying to bust the trenches. Oh. That was a big uh, a big thing behind the creation of the tanks. They actually nicknamed them tanks because they wanted to make it like such a secret. They didn't want any German spies to get their hands on any of the plans. So they called them like water tankers. Like these are just basically tractors that are going to carry water to the front basically interesting so. okay yep um if anybody's wants to hear that full song it is sabaton off the record called the great war which is obviously world war one so um yeah you can go ahead i don't know if the whole album is about world war one <laughs> but it definitely has a song about um about that uh that there the event here um, I heard another because I just was kind of listening to him last night and they had another song about the storming of Normandy Beach. So maybe they have like an <clears throat> album for World War One and an album for World War Two. I had no idea that there was also like super patriotic bands in other countries and not just like American bands. Uh, <laughs> what's the <laughs> five finger death punch comes to mind? Oh, God. I <laughs> I think Kid Rock is more USA. Well, actually, every single country artist is like yeah. the patriotic oh. one. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the Swedes like the Germans very much, right? 
No, none of those uh, three North there, like the uh, the German. <laughs> well, no European country except for like maybe Belarus, uh, you know, and anyone who's forced to be in Russia, basically. But not a lot of uh, those countries. Actually, there's a big push for the Scandinavian countries to join NATO right now. I believe oh. Sweden may have actually just joined. If I'm not mistaken, one of them, uh, Finland, not yet, uh, not Finland, because Finland basically has this huge border with Russia. I do believe it's Sweden has joined NATO, though, if I'm not okay. mistaken. All right. I don't know. Norway, you know, my homeland, they probably just want to stay out of everybody's business and just <laughs> <laughs> live in a peaceful we just, world. We just want to herd our sheep and go fishing, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I Mood just of- assume they all sound like Minnesotans. They probably do, honestly. A little bit. If you yeah. ever, uh, my grandpa on that, my dad's side, um, was spoke Norwegian, and yeah, he had a very thick Norwegian sounding accent, or yeah. I mean Minnesota <laughs> sounding accent. He was either from Sweden directly, or he had been to Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I've been um, watching the Ken and Barbie documentary about um the canadian serial killer duo and okay it's in toronto i think is kind of where it's happening and everybody's are interviewing holy shit that's the most canadian fucking accent i've ever heard oh yeah i uh it's i listened to a podcast there's a comedian um it's the boys the boys cast or something like that. Okay. Um, Ryan Long. They're up, but the two guys on the podcast are both Canadian and I believe they're both from Toronto. And it's funny because every once in a while there's, they'll say something like extremely Canadian and it's just, (laughs) it's funny. It's hilarious. I also listen to a podcast called war mode. And I think they mention on purpose, the word water, like every single episode. Cause anyone from Philly calls water worder, 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 Worder. Yeah, yeah. fucking worder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, kind of, well, ending this a little bit, uh, I was going to mention that Russia would actually not see the end of the war. Uh, they did not do very well. Uh, there was a lot of political kind of uprising and eventually would lead them to withdraw from the war. They signed very unfavorable terms with the Germans and basically went directly into a civil war. Eventually uh, the red army, the red side would win, uh, which was eventually taken over completely by the Bolsheviks. So by, you know, after the end of the war, it was uh, under Bolshevik control. USSR starts So that whole chestnut out there. So if they signed a treaty with Germany and then Mm -hmm. Germany signed a really bad treaty, then did that free up Russia? Well, so the thing is that after Russia left early, they were not involved in any of the treaty negotiations at the end of the war. So they got double fucked because if they would have just held out for the Germans to lose the war, they would have gotten more land. They would have gotten more like, you know, money, all that stuff. They don't the the prizes would have been great just like it was for the other countries that actually stuck with it and won they would have you know been involved with that but since they got out early they signed that shitty deal then all of a sudden the land that was up for grabs for the other countries 
was now <laughs> former Russian land that the Germans ah. had won through the treaty. So they got double fucked. Well, they got it all back after WW2, didn't they? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, when Warsaw Pact there. And when WW3 starts, Poland's going to get all of Russia. Possibly. Yeah. I, uh, one day you'll see that Ukrainian flag flying over my go. <laughs> it could happen. No, it won't. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It won't. <laughs> they have no fucking chance. Uh, America would love if they did. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Phil, um, what did you think of the story overall now that uh, you've never heard it before? Well, when you first started talking about it, in my mind, I was kind of, well, if there are zombies on the battlefield, logical conclusion is they used gas. I didn't read yeah. down further down. Uh, logically, they probably used gas and maybe it turned them into super soldiers, though. So, I mean, that sounded like they were superhuman if they survived the gas attack with nothing but piss stained fucking rags over their face. So, <laughs> so you, ju- soaked, I suppose, you just need chlorine, bromine and uh, ammonia and uh, yep. you are a super soldier for at least two days. Yep, exactly. It's just like if you're kind of sick and you take some of that emergency, all of a sudden you turn into <laughs> a superhuman for about four hours. Yeah. Yeah, you feel yeah. like a million bucks. And then you get back to your bed and you hope not to die. Yeah, so. yeah. It's a uh, temporary feeling of euphoria, that's for sure. Um, well, anyway, Phil, if anybody wants to reach out and contact us, where can they do that? Well, they can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from everybody, you know, uh episode ideas the love the hate it's all good get a hold of us we also have an instagram account subliminal deception podcast on ig same thing really appreciate all the likes and all the shares and just you know like tell us how you feel about the show it's great cody also has his own instagram account what is that cody you can follow me at cody's above thank you to everyone who's taking the time to do that uh the last thing we ask guys to do is log on to itunes leave a show five star review doesn't particularly matter what you say in there, just five stars, type a little something, hit submit. Thank you to everyone who's taking the time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even simpler. You just hit five stars, hit submit, and then you're done nice and easy. And thank you to everyone who's taking time to do that for us as well. Well, guys, I hope um, if you hadn't ever heard this story, I hope you uh, were as surprised as I was when I read it. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, guys.